Okay, welcome. It's 11 o'clock, so if you're coming in, please take a seat and we'll get started. Um, again, as a reminder, if you have a cell phone, if you could please turn it off or silence it. And again, just like yesterday, if you have questions at the end, um, raise your hand and I will run around with the microphone so we can capture those and everyone can hear you. Do your characters text? Do they tweet? Do they communicate in shorthand that breaks down, bastardizes, and sometimes even energizes the English language? Mind you, they're millennials. How could they not? As writers, digitalization is necessarily part of practice, from publishing and promotion to earnestly and fully exploring the habits of our characters. Today, Ned Stucky French will discuss writing in the digital age. Ned earned a BA magna cum laude from Harvard College, an MA from Brown University, and a PhD from the University of Iowa. He is currently an associate professor of English at Florida State University. He is the author of The American Essay in the American Century, a choice outstanding academic book for 2012. He is also co-editor of Essayists on the Essay, Montaigne to Our Time, co-author of Writing Fiction, A Guide to Narrative Craft, and book review editor for Fourth Genre. His articles and essays have appeared in journals and magazines, including In These Times, The Missouri Review, and The Iowa Review, among many others, and have been listed five times among the notable essays of the year in the Best American Essays series. Please join me in welcoming Ned Stuckey French. Thank you, Anna, and thank you all for coming today. Um, I've got lots of images, lots of clips. We'll see uh, how far we get through all of them. Um, I just want to quickly mention that um, Anna mentioned a book called uh, Essayists on the Essay from Montaigne to Our Time that I co-authored, co-edited. Uh, we're honored today to have Professor Carl Klaus, who founded the nonfiction writing program here at Iowa with us, and he's my co-editor of that book. I, um, I want to talk to you today a little bit about how uh, in the academy, uh, in universities, we are evaluated each year and get tenure and promotion on the basis of three uh, criteria, uh, research, teaching, and service. And uh, I want to talk about my experience over the last 10 years or so and how those three have kind of come together uh, for me, because uh, I think sometimes people outside the university don't, aren't always aware that we're doing all three of those things or expect to do all three of those things and that they, that they cross-fertilize, they speak to each other. Um, so uh, my teaching uh, involved... Uh, has involved teaching classes in essay writing and in modern American literature with a focus kind of on, on creative nonfiction and on magazine culture and how, where, where essays are, are, are uh, published. Uh, as part of that, I also um, came to teach or came to direct the a certificate program we have in our department on publishing and editing for graduate students especially who might want to take courses in that and get tacked the certificate onto their master's degree or their PhD degree because they realize how awful the job market is <laughs> and that they might 
uh, want to migrate into publishing, or if they're creative writing students that they might want to eat and pay rent while they write the great American novel. Uh, so I was involved in that. And then, um, as part of my service, I uh, was asked to be on a couple of different uh, university, or one university-wide committee and one department uh, committee to rethink curriculum, which has to, you know, evolves in, in response to the changes in the time. And the first one, the department change, came about, uh, I guess, eight years ago, nine years ago. And we had in the English department a literature track and a creative writing track. And we recognized that a lot of our students were wanting to do internships during their junior or senior year and maybe go do something in publishing or advertising or public relations or something like that. And so we, and, and that they were interested in, as Anna said, they were millennials and they were writing in different ways than we were used to writing. And so we set up a third track called Editing Writing Media, EWM, and the tagline for it was Writing in the 21st Century. So it was an attempt to do this. We, we were going to launch it slowly as a pilot program, what we call the soft launch, and within one year it was the largest of the three tracks. <laughs> and it now accounts for about half of our 1,400 undergraduate majors. Then I was also involved in a university-wide uh, curriculum reform effort to rethink uh, our general education requirements for our undergraduates. And um, coming out of that, we felt we needed to have some courses for, especially first-year undergraduates, where they were in a class with each other. Because AP writing uh, exams for uh, high school students had sort of uh, taken most of the first-year writing students. They, they tested out of that. And there was, so there was no longer a place where, where freshmen kind of met together in a class during their first and second semesters and got to know each other and could engage in big ways with big ideas. So uh, I was involved in that, and I ended up teaching a class, uh, offering to teach a class that came out of that program called uh, ed, um, the Digital... <clears throat> the Digital Age, uh, re uh, uh, Reading, Writing, and Speaking in the Digital Age, Digital Age for short. <clears throat> and there's a big sprawling class. Here's what the syllabus looks like. <laughs> um, The, uh, the, the, uh, the class was, again, four freshmen. First, it was a lecture class. The second time I taught, it was a discussion class. And it was uh, a kind of a sweeping class that, that went, uh, started with writing on cave walls and, class, and clay tablets and so on and so forth. And, supposed to, it was based, and, and came all the way up to Google and hypertext and so on and so forth. So it was expansive. It was a, I mean, it was as big a survey as you could have. Kind of. So I had to find a way to tie it together. Well, my interest is in the personal essay. So what I decided to do was have that be the, a common thread, the essay. What is the essay in the digital age? What might a video essay be? 
What might a digital essay be? What might an Instagram essay be? How are blogs like essays? If Montaigne were alive today, the founder of the essay, who wrote in, you know, as a com contemporary of Shakespeare and Cervantes, if he were alive today, would he blog? Those kinds of questions. And um, that, was, that was how I uh, wanted to try to organize the class so that it was manageable in some way. So I began the class with uh, introducing them to a piece I had written where I tried to define the essay, because I felt like they, a lot of them did not, uh, they thought of the essay as a five-paragraph theme. Introduction, body of evidence, conclusion. Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell it to them, tell them what you told them. Right? To me, it's much more complicated than that. It can involve... Uh, uh, narrative, use of narrative, so you've got the inverted check mark, you've got uh, you know, rising tension, climax, denouement, or as I told my students the other day, foreplay, orgasm, cigarette. That might help you remember. And, uh, but that the essay itself is more the story of the mind thinking, and so it might not follow that. It might use that, it might use narrative within it, but it's going to be much more digressive and so on. So um, I did that. I, I introduced them to, as I said, kind of even bigger than Gutenberg to Google, we did Sanskrit to Google, right? And I used this timeline, which is, uh, uh, you know, give, gives a, a sweep through that. The, um, um, I, I used pieces like this that were on the Internet because I guess in one sense I wanted my students to know I was hip and knew these things were out there. <laughs> but I also, they were accessible. They could get at them and they modeled what I wanted their final project to be. Along the way, they had three basic projects, three main uh, things that they had to do for the class, three main assignments. They needed to, uh, for four weeks in kind of the first uh, third of the class or so, they needed to do a four-week-long blog where they blogged about some aspect of new media, whatever interested them. Some of them are very interested in video games. Some of them are very interested in um, um, reality TV, whatever it might be. And it wasn't complicated. I didn't expect a whole lot there. They just had to maybe fold some illustrations into it, maybe use some hypertext some hyperlinks, nothing too much. But some of them had much more experience. They'd been making video essays since sixth grade when they were at you know, slumber parties. <laughs> they were true millennials. So they, they, they would get a little jazzier than some of the others, and they would, did some interesting projects. But, so that was the first time. Also, they had to work in a small group to be responsible for printing or for uh, presenting uh, about one of the topics along the way. Uh, copyright law under the, during the digital age, or privacy in the digital age, or uh, how, what's the difference between reading on screens as opposed to reading on paper. Things like this. And, um, and, and by working together, they could kind of ease into it and learn from each other, because some of them would know more than others about how to present, although we talked about how to present. We have a digital studio at Florida State University where they 
can go and talk to people who are trained in different programs and introduce them to how to build a website or how to edit a, a, a video or whatever, and where there are big computers with big screens that, where they can work together with somebody else and, and learn some of those techniques if they don't know them. So they all had to do that in their small group. They all had to go and get introduced to that and know, find out where the place was <laughs> and so forth. Then the, uh, the final project, though, that everything was leading up to was that they were going to do some sort of digital essay. It could be a video essay, it could be an Instagram essay, it could be an a essay that, uh, where they basically were building a website, whatever, and I'll get to those more in a minute. So that's what it was leading up to. So along the way, as we talked about different things, for instance, we talked about, okay, text messaging and use of the internet, how have they changed us, and I was able to find uh, this piece by Tony Zhou, who is, uh, 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 it's a, a, a video essay about how text messaging is presented in film and on TV. And so by uh, introducing to these, using these kinds of texts along the way, I was also modeling the kind of thing they might want to try to do in their final project. So I'll just show you a little bit of it here. So you get the idea that they, and, and we talked about Tony Zhou, one of the things he's known for is what's called hyper-narration. I don't know about you, but he was talking awfully fast for me. <laughs> it was a lot to keep up with. You know, he's, a, he's a film editor, and so he's got that piece edited very tightly, and it's almost a race to see if he can, his narration will keep up with it. So we talked about that kind of problem. Then I, I, I sent them to some blogs that they might want to use as models. Some of them have already read Alison Bechdel's wonderful graphic memoir, Fun Home, that was uh, uh, adapted for the stage in uh, um, Broadway and won, a Tony, won, I don't know, nine Tonys or something last year. So I, I, I let them know she had a, a blog that you know, they could, could take a look at and get ideas about how to use video in it or GIFs like this or whatever. Um, we talked about how to, um, uh, that, that social media is not necessarily just a place where you can talk to your friends, but it's a place that people have also used uh, those sites to uh, educate, to organize, and so on and so forth. So I introduced them to a, a Facebook page that I helped create with a, a close friend that was uh, uh, Oop, I don't want to do that. That, uh, oh, well, sorry. That, you'll see it behind it. Uh, that, that we used when, uh, in 2012, the new president came into the University of Missouri, and he was a businessman with no real background within the university community, and, and he, uh, one of the first things he did was to close the university press that had been in existence for 54 years, had a backlist of over 2,000 titles, was the, primary, you know, was the primary site for publishing Mark Twain, Langston Hughes, uh, other Missouri-born authors, and so on and so forth. And, and we, we organized a campaign, and we uh, used Facebook a lot to do that. And, and, and so I show them that. And um, we talk about copyright. I showed them this piece by, uh, that, that's uh, about, 
gives them a short history of copyright and a definition of what copyright is and how copyright, it begins to get them thinking about how copyright might have changed in the digital age, but it's composed entirely of clips from Disney films in order to do that. Just the clips are short enough that they're under, they're, they're protected by fair use, but but it's definitely poking fun at Disney because Disney was the, one of the main lobbyists to extend copyright because they did not want Mickey Mouse going into the public domain. Also, he might start doing all sorts of awful things. And so, so uh, I, I, I showed, showed them this uh, piece. I'll just show you a little bit of the beginning of it to, so you can, can see kind of what the, uh, the creator was up to. Shows them this at the beginning, you know, reminding them that you can get, go to prison for five years for violating copyright. <laughs> Just so you know who we're talking about here. You get the idea. <laughs> so it shows how new media can be used subversively. <laughs> um, then we, we talk about, okay, what, what, one of the things that keeps coming up is what is the relationship between print and digital? Will digital replace it? Will we soon be reading only on our screens and on our phones? And believe me, a lot of them read only on their phones. I mean, they read novels on their phones, right? And so we, we start talking about that and talk about it in terms of, for instance, like what is going to be the future for the library then? And uh, I introduced them to the Digital Public Library of America, which is a project that was launched by Robert Darton, who teaches at Harvard, that's trying to connect the digital archives of all sorts of public libraries, museums, uh, private archives uh, across the country and have them linked so that they're, so that they, they, they're accessible through a single website. And, um, you know, so we, we uh, take a look at that and talk about that, read some things by Darton about how, how, how libraries are going to be changing and what, what are digital archives, what's, what's going to be available through the Internet that's kind of beyond Wikipedia and YouTube and places that they're maybe already all too familiar with. Uh, but I try to keep returning at different points throughout the semester to, to the essay. So for instance, I show them then a, an archive that a friend of mine, Patrick Madden, who teaches at Brigham Young University, it's a wonderful archive that he's put together of essays that are in the public domain, that he and his graduate students have converted to uh, a single format so that there, it's, it doesn't feel like a hodgepodge so that you can, you can uh, get essay, you know, there's a biography of, of Sir Francis Bacon and then, uh, you know, several of his essays are available online. It's a wonderful teaching device. Anything that was published before 1923 
is automatically in the public domain and is available. So Bacon, who's publishing around 1600, is very available, right? But there are lots of others. He brings it up to, to the early 20th century. Uh, we talk about uh, questions of privacy uh, and Edward Snowden and things like that. We talk about, uh, but we talk about also things that sometimes people haven't stopped to think about, for instance, what the digital, how the digital, how our digital tools intersect with and help create new possibilities for people who are disabled in one way or another. So closed captioning and so on and so forth, or, or voice recognition or whatever, and you know, a, 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 a signal place to talk about that is, is, is uh, We talk about Stephen Hawking. I also send him to a blog friend of mine who's an essayist and poet named Stephen Cusisto who, who has a, who's blind and has a blog called Planet of the Blind where he talks about these things. But Hawking, they may be, avail they may be already aware of. He was, after all, a character on a Simpsons episode. <laughs> but you know, to stop and think about how digital tools have given us access to this incredible mind. Right, that 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 knows more about the universe than than almost anybody. Right, give them a little history there. Um, then, after about half of the semester, with this kind of historical overview and this kind of discussion of big themes, then we start to move more specifically to what might a digital essay look like, with the idea of what might your final project look like. So we start with fairly simple ones like that. That, uh, uh, that are almost just illustrated essays. So for instance, this is one by Jeff Charlotte, who teaches at Dartmouth and is a terrific writer and kind of immersion journalism called, uh, it's an Instagram essay, and it's called uh, uh, Night Shift, excerpts from an Instagram essay. And he, so he's got, he's got photos of people who work night shift, one place or another, this guy at Dunkin' Donuts, whatever, and, and and, and then kind of long paragraph about each of them, talking about what is it like to work the night, night shift, right? But put together, it's, it's an extended essay. Then we, we start talking about, well, where else might vid video or digital essays be? Where on the internet is there something that you might, we might think of as possibly a digital essay that, we, that, that isn't maybe uh, identifying itself as that? But if we, if, if, if we as essayists are looking for models, where is there something that we might be able to steal from or think about or reconceive as, a, as, a, as a, an essay that uses digital techniques? So for instance, we look at uh, Ron Charles, who is the, uh, I mean, one of the, one of the kind of tensions that, that students are often already aware of is what, what has the internet done to newspapers and to print magazines? Has it done, is it going to do away with them? But then we look at, okay, at the Washington Post site or the New York Times site where they are, or the, the New Yorker site where some of these print uh, uh, formats have been, or print, print uh, journals and, and newspapers have, in order to survive, figured out ways to create on, an online presence that's really wonderful. I mean, if you look at the New York Times graphic uh, graphics or, or uh, charts or polls or uh, 
slideshows, whatever. They're, they're, they're just wonderful. They're really well designed. They're, they're interactive and so on and so forth. Well, the Washington Post, one thing that Ron Charles figured out there was that you know, book reviewing is it's under assault. There aren't very many newspapers anymore that have regular book reviews. So he, what he decided to do was to do video book reviews and to interject humor with them. So we decided some of these are basically video essays. For instance, here's one of Fifty Shades of Grey. Get ready, it's... <laughs> Okay, that's enough. You're having too much fun. <laughs> but so we, we look at that and say, okay, is this a video essay? Or what does this have in common with essays? Is there any way we can even think of anything in this being at all essay-like? Right? And, and we talk about humor, for instance. Right? That, and that there's a, that's a strong tradition within the essay, right? Self-deprecating uh, so that the narrator is familiar and conversational and one of us, not speaking down to us. And clearly that's some of what, what uh, he's up to there. Um, then we look at a, another place on the Internet that where, where, the, where the digital is, I think, helping support print is the, uh, the arrival of book trailers, which uh, some of you may have seen some of these already, but they're, they're, they're all over YouTube. They're all over publishers' websites. They're, they're almost de rigueur now. I mean, a, a, an author almost has to, has to put one together. But they can be put together in different ways. Sometimes they're kind of boring. They're just an interview with the author, whatever, just kind of a slideshow. But, but Saraband Books, I think, did a really interesting one for a collection of essays by... Uh, um, Ryan Van Meter, who, who went to Iowa, is in the nonfiction writing program here, where they basically did a shortened, a kind of excerpted, abridged version of one of his essays and adapted it. And I'll just show you a little bit of the beginning of that one. You can sort of imagine where that's going. <clears throat> or maybe not, but at any rate, it, 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 it speaks to, uh, I think, how, formally it speaks to how an essay might be adapted to the screen, which is something students are already kind of familiar with in terms of novels being adapted to film and so forth. But it, it, it also talks about an issue uh, that they're very aware of and very attuned to, which is marriage equality or... Uh, you know, coming, coming out of the closet, whatever it might be, however you want to characterize it. So, so we do that. Then, uh, uh, and, and each of these are places where they get intrigued and think, oh, maybe I'll try to do something like that in my final project. We talk about, you know, the, the use of silhouettes in that, the use of the ball game as a, a you know, a background uh, ambient noise kind of soundtrack, uh, you know, the, the, the use of color, the use of black and white, so on and so forth. Um, but then we talk about there are, there are other things you can do with the digital, if, if you know what you're doing. <laughs> so I introduced them to a few essays that were created by a friend of mine, Eric LeMay, who teaches at Ohio University. This one is called Losing the Lottery, and it's, it's really kind of an essay about lotteries that uses the lottery to talk about lotteries. <laughs> so you're supposed to click on 
uh, six balls. When you do that, then those are the, the, at the top there, those are the six numbers I clicked on. Then uh, it goes through, it shows, it's, it's doing a running uh, uh, set of numbers there to show, uh, that's kind of how fast they would have to pick the ping pong balls out of the, <laughs> the bin in order to, you know, get to yours, right? And so if you match three, you get $2. Okay, I'm getting, I'm getting some $2 hits there, but match four, not yet. Match five, not yet. Match six, not yet. No way I'm going to get to the big pool. So it's, it's, it's showing me how, how, what, how it's rigged, how the lottery is just impossible, how you're not going to win money. But it also has these that little mini essays here that you can click through. There are 49 of them uh, to read about lotteries as you go. Some of them are little anecdotes. Some of them are historical pieces. So as you go through it, you and you you get a kind of a, an essay about lotteries too in a more familiar form. A print. So it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of an interesting one. He did one called the Montaigne Machine, too, where you pick a, a topic. I don't know, we'll pick, uh, what do you want to pick? Vice. Vice, of course you do, Patricia. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, you're supposed to offer a thought on it. I don't know. Anna, you got a thought about Vice? Vice is... <laughs> Vice is nice. All right, that's good enough. Vice is twice as nice. And then you click Create Essay. And then we get Montaigne talking about Vice. And your little Vice is nice going across along the background. And so, again, it's using digital stuff to kind of create this arbitrary on-the-spot essay about vice. Then I show them, uh, this is a, uh, in, in the essay community, this, this piece became, it, it went viral a few years ago. This is a piece by Denty Moore, who is the editor of Brevity Magazine, the uh, director of the writing program at Ohio University, and it's a Google Maps essay in which Denty talks about the three times in his life that he, he uh, encountered George Plimpton who was a famous writer, the founder of the Paris Review, did these immersion journalism pieces where he played professional football and boxed with Archie Moore and stuff. And it began, so it's a, it's a kind of a 30-year journey with three meetings with George Plimpton. One of them, the first one, when Denty was an undergraduate and was supposed to pick, uh, at the University of Pittsburgh, and was supposed to pick George Plimpton up at the airport, and Denty was kind of hungover, <laughs> and he talks about that encounter. Then years later, he meets, he runs into George Plimpton on the street in New York, and he recognizes Plimpton, but of course Plimpton doesn't recognize him. And he rushes across the street to say hello to him, and Plimpton sort of runs in terror. He thought he was a stalker or an assassin or something, I guess. And then finally, when Denty has become kind of you know, a, a figure in the nonfiction community. He's at a conference in Baltimore, and some of and he tells people about these previous two meetings with George Plimpton. So some of his friends, and I think this is spoiler alert, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you anyway. His some of his friends t 
talk to George Plimpton on the side and say, we want you to go rush over to Denty and say, Denty, long time no see. I haven't seen you since that, that time on the street in New York. <laughs> so it's the story of that, but it's the story of celebrity. It's a personal essay about Denty coming of age as a writer and so forth. And so forth. But he uses Google Maps. So you, he set up a Google Maps site. So for instance, you can go over and click on, on this and it takes you to, to a spot on the map in a certain time and where, where what he was thinking about, what, and it tells you what he was thinking about George Plimpton or what was going on in their meeting. And you can do it chronologically, right? And it's got pictures just as you can use Google Maps, you know, if you've ever used it to create a, a plan for a vacation or whatever. It's got pictures of the spot so you can see where I, where I met him at, at University of Pittsburgh, where the, 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 the building was that we had the talk and so on and so forth. But anyway, so that's a Google Maps essay and some of them get intrigued with that. I showed them, I don't know if any of you read A Visit from the Goon Squad, which was Jennifer Egan's Pulitzer Prize winning novel. She had a character in there named Allison Blake who's uh, She's a, a 12-year-old girl. She's got a 13-year-old brother named Lincoln who is kind of on the autism spectrum. And their parents' marriage is troubled. And there's the, the novel uh, spans a time from the 1980s to sometime in the future. We don't know where, but it's not 2016 exactly. It's sometime in the future. And Allison uses... PowerPoint, she's a millennial, so she uses PowerPoint to kind of keep a journal, keep a diary, and communicate with her brother, Lincoln, who is obsessed with the pauses in, um, see, I think I'm going to go the right one, in uh, classic rock songs. So she, she, uh, she also talks about um, their parents' relationship, and she uses uh, PowerPoint slides to do that. And she uses a soundtrack using, the, using the, the rock songs that have pauses in them, like that one. And uh, Jennifer Egan was kind of upset. She, could, she, she did use, use layout in the print version of the book to kind of simulate a PowerPoint presentation, but that was kind of as far as she could go. So she, on her website, she actually created the PowerPoint. So, because she wanted audio, <laughs> was mainly that. So we got that. We should look at some more uh, uh, pieces that were, by using editing and splicing, uh, 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 people do cultural criticism. For instance, this one, which is just about food in Quentin Tarantino movies. And it goes on much longer, but it it, it uses subtitles or intertitles to narrate it, but it has an audio too because because, uh, soundtracks are very important to Tarantino. But then it it has lots and lots and lots of clips from Tarantino films to show us how he uses food in in, in his films in order to create characters or to show tension or to show exchanges uh, uh, between characters and so forth. Uh, real quickly, another one that's about Steven Spielberg's use of close-ups of faces.
This one has voiceover narration. The other one just uses subtitles. So we talk about that dif- the difference there. Again, there's much more, but I want to get, I'm going to cut ahead because I want to make sure that we have, that you see some of my student projects. But we talk about animation, we talk about using iPhones to create video essays, we talk about uh, a lot of different things. And then there's some of their final projects um, have been uh, curated by the FSU Vigital. Uh, digital studio, and they they um, um, post them there so that that other students can see them. I can use them in the future, or uh, teachers for other classes can use them. So, for instance, here uh, here is a um, a couple of my students. A couple of young women were very already had uh, uh, a real interest in photography, so they used. Uh, uh, the, the kind of the Google Maps essay as a, a way to um, uh, uh, organize their slides. So, for instance, this one, Madeline Molina, she's from Hawaii, and she, uh, uh, they all have to do an about page where they explain what they're doing uh, and how they, what, the, what the, the, the site is about and what, in what way is it essayistic, and how is it organized, how might you proceed through it. And then um, she used Google Maps, so she's got all of these different um, maps of Hawaii, and if you click on them, she, you go to the site where she has slides and describes the place and describes her experiences with that place and how going there has helped her learn about Hawaii and learn about where she's from. And, you know, you can move through all the sites. And, you know, she's really a pretty terrific photographer, I think. Um, um, I'll tell you what, I'll cut to some video essays that... Uh, um, this is one that uh, one of my graduate students did... Uh, She's a Chinese student, um, PhD student. She's a very accomplished writer. She's published books in China. But she got very interested in the video essay in one of my graduate workshops. And um, she created a video essay. She had already been taking pictures of, slides of, and video of a group of Canada geese (laughs) who live in a park in Tallahassee. The essay, finally, I think, is about trying to figure out America, trying to assimilate, trying to find connections between China and America, and using animals, using these geese to do it. And in a final way, it's sort of about loneliness, because, because the geese become almost her best friends. She realized she, had a, she has a very uh, uh, heavy accent, I had her in a couple classes, and I'm on her, her thesis committee. I, 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 I can understand her well, but she understands that a lot of people can't understand her well. So he, she uses, for, the, for her narration, she uses the voice of Siri. 
she uses an electronic voice. But she also sometimes, for instance, when her parents visit, she has audio of her parents talking and gives you subtitles and uses two or three different dialects because they're multilingual. And, and, but they're always talking about the geese. So I'll just show you a little quick snippet from it. So you can see it's also about food, I guess, right? All right, that's, uh, that's all. I, I have other things I could look at, but I think uh, we should probably break now in case you have some questions about video essays, the essay in the uh, digital age, uh, whatever you might, might uh, wonder about. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. <laughs> That's wonderful, Ned. Um, I guess my question is about the writing itself. Did you notice um, uh, any difference, either improvement or, uh, or lack of improvement in student writing due to this other element, this ex extremely busy, cumbersome element that they're, maybe it's not cumbersome to them, but you know, were they less focused on their writing and th that have an effect, positive or negative, in terms of the writing, the craft? Yeah, I was conscious of that because I didn't want them to escape the written word and, and retreat into just images. And so there were, there were uh, for instance, when they were doing the blog, I had word count expectations and so forth. But I... I'll tell you one thing that they learned, I think improved their writing in many ways, was that they learned when you're doing, when you're, you're scripting a video, whether you're using intertitles or whether you're using voiceover or whether you're, uh, you're, you're doing reenactments and you're having your characters, your people, whatever, speak a script as if it were on a play, uh, whether you're breaking the fourth wall and you as a narrator or a voiceover are speaking directly out of the screen, whatever, right, that you can't use too many words. It has to be efficient. They couldn't get wordy. When I was at the University of Iowa as a graduate student, I got a part-time job right when I arrived working as a writer for the dean of students office. And I ghost wrote speeches for the dean of students <laughs> and I wrote and I was situated in the uh, IMU and I did I, I was in the marketing department so I had to learn to write everything I wrote I wrote advertisements I wrote menus for the uh, restaurants in the IM, IMU I wrote four different newsletters uh, one for the bookstore one for the student services on and on and I had to, it was just the beginning of the digital age so I had to write for for websites and I had to write copy sometimes that was 150 words long. Not 143, not 161. Right? And it's an amazing discipline. I mean, it's, it's like writing a sonnet. You have to do it that way. Right? And I think that, they, that that's one of the things they began to learn by doing this kind of writing. That there's a, there's a, it's not as freewheeling as I think some of them thought it might be. That there's a real discipline to it.
Is there a correlation between the particular kind of digital technology and the audience you may want to be reaching? Yes, I, I think so. I think, I think that, for instance, there are certain, I mean, the kinds of platforms that you might use, the kinds of places you might uh, uh, you know, situate your video essay, they're changing hourly. <laughs> I mean, it's just it, the technology moves so fast, right? And some of us are old fogies, and we, I mean, I try to tweet. I, I really try. <laughs> I've tried a few times, but I just can't, I just can't, it just doesn't light my fire. <laughs> but I live on Facebook. I'm on Facebook every day. I'm involved in a lot of Facebook communities that, where we talk about essays, we talk about teaching, and we talk about politics, and so on and so forth. And it's the same as is true for different ones of my students. I mean, some of them, it's all Snapchat. You know, some of them, it's all Instagram. Some of it, it's Pinterest. Uh, some of them already have blogs. I, I had a student... Uh, in one of my editing writing media classes, uh, who has been keeping a, uh, a blog about uh, young adult fiction since she was in the eighth grade. And it had, it had become very popular. She got 40 books a month from New York publishers and other publishers of YA fiction. She reviewed about three a week. Use it, but you, you know, so she was... A lot of people her age were, not, uh, were more into Twitter or more into Snapchat or more into these quicker uh, uh, forms. She wasn't because she'd been doing that. She was trying, she, I mean, she, you could, you know, she, she, she had a Twitter account as well, right? But so it, it just depends. But I think, yeah, it's, uh, that's part of, the, part of the excitement for some of these students was trying to figure out who their audience was and how to get to them. With understanding, I mean, a lot of them have these dreams of having a YouTube channel and being able to self-support, right, uh, by getting advertisers for their YouTube channel because they have these these favorite people on YouTube that do, you know, Jenna Marples is one of the, was one of their favorites. She's got I don't know, 12 million followers I think or something like that on YouTube, and makes a living making these humorous YouTube videos. Again, YouTube. We talked about what is the average length of a YouTube video. Going back to Diana's question, right? And, and there, it changes all the time, but there are certain sites where they try to monitor that. And basically, it's about three and a half, four minutes. I mean, it changes from time to time, right? And so we talked about how the technology changes the length, changes the kind of hook that you can use to open a, an essay, the kind of how much repetition you can use within an essay, or so on and so forth, and how that's maybe not unlike the rise of AM radio in the 1950s and the rise of the 45 as opposed to the 33 and a third or the 78 uh, longer play records, right? And how, how the average length of a 45 that was played on AM radio for top 40 was like two minutes long. And so that's what Little Richard and... Elvis had to do, right? And so I try to talk about those kinds of questions historically to get them, so it, it, it doesn't seem like everything, you know, it didn't all happen in the last, I mean, 
YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Pentagram, Pinterest, all of these things have happened in basically the last decade. And so history can feel like that's how long it is to these students. But I try to keep going back to, you know, well, what did, how did writing change with Gutenberg? With having a printing press? What, what did that mean for the Bible? Have you heard about the Protestant Reformation? <laughs> Other questions? You've shown us quite a wide range of the use of technology and some of it's very sophisticated and I'm wondering how do you teach this? Um, if you don't know how to do it and a student doesn't know how to do it and they want to do it, do you gain some resources from other parts of the university? I'm just wondering how when you introduce this and people get excited about it and they want to do it and you go, uh, not sure how to do that. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> I, I, have tr I, I have made one video essay about video essays. <laughs> That's all I've done. I, uh, that, that very first piece I did, I showed up there about the, where it had the, uh, the five paragraph theme and the narrative, I, I created that. That's kind of a little illustrated uh, essay about essays that uses hypertext and uses some illustrations, some graphics. That's about as far as I can go so far, right? I mean, I have two daughters. One's 18 and one's 21, and they laugh at me. You're teaching that, Dad? You don't know. <laughs> you don't even know how to use your cell phone, you know? <laughs> You don't even know what an app is, right? So I could not teach this course without, one, my students, right? I, I, I know stuff they don't know. I know the history of the essay. I know how to teach writing. I know, you know, how, to, uh, uh, how text, text, text technologies have changed. I know the history of the magazine and its emergence from print to to online. I know things like that. I know the essay inside and out. But I don't know Pinterest. I don't, you know, I don't have that, right? But they know it. So I have the, that's part of why we have the small groups. Because in the small groups, they can workshop each other. And I scaffold that final project so that they've got to do a proposal. Then they've got to present that proposal to the group and to me. And we workshop and talk about it. And there'll be somebody else in the group that maybe, well, why don't you try this? You know, this is what I know how to do with Instagram. I don't, it doesn't seem like you know how to do that, whatever. And then the second thing that I've had to rely on is that digital studio. Because we have graduate students there who are further into this than I am and who know the uh, applications and how to uh, teach them and have the, uh, the hardware and the software there to, to, to do it. So the students... I just keep sending them back over there. You know, I, I, I don't know my way. I've messed around on iMovie, but I think for how to use you know, a soundtrack, you need to go talk to this person at the digital studio. Because not everybody at the digital studio is adept at all of the applications either. But yeah, I can't do it all myself. And I have to admit that. If I, you know, if I don't admit that, they, they, they'll, they'll, they, they smell that blood in the water real quickly. <laughs>
That course is for that course is for first year students. That course is for freshmen, and um, I uh, am adapting it to be an upper level undergraduate course for uh, our EWM, our editing writing media track, that will count toward that. So I'll be teaching it to juniors and seniors next spring, and then. I did a unit on video essays for my graduate writing workshop last year where I introduced them to it because I'd also organized a symposium at, uh, at Florida State on the video and film essay where I brought in Philip Lopate, who is the, the other grand old man. If you don't mind me calling you old man, Carl. The, the other dean of the American essay in addition to Carl, who, t who, who directs the nonfiction program at Columbia and is also a film critic. I brought him down and I brought two film critics, in, or film scholars, uh, one from Temple and one from Penn. So we had this symposium too, and so it was the same time I was having this graduate workshop. And so we were looking at video essays, we were looking at uh, film essays in that class a little bit kind of just the last third of the class, and so I ought, they had two assignments, right, uh, two essays for that class, and I told them, if any of you want to try to do a video essay <coughs> or a digital essay for your second one, feel free. They all did it. <laughs> they all got the bug. That was the second well, again, the, the, the freshmen, first-year students, it's like, they're, 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 they're digital natives. They have no fear. The graduate students, they aren't as old as you and I, <laughs> but they're, it's, it, they went into it with a little more trepidation. But like I said, they all chose to do it. They all wanted to, to try it. They went to the digital studio, too. They, were, they had no shame. They were willing to ask for help. And they came up with some great pieces. Well, the, 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 the one about the geese was one of them. And it got published already in an online magazine. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm, and, and, you know, that's a, that is a, a question, a contradiction, an argument that sits right at the center of this, and I try not to avoid it with my students. So one of the pieces that we read is Philip Lopate's piece uh, about the film essay, film essay hyphenate, you know, hyphenated, and he, and he calls it... The, the, that's the subtitle, but the, the, the real title is The Centaur, right? <laughs> that it's this half-being. Is it, is it human or is it animal, right? It's a little bit of both. Is it writing or is it visual? And in, in some instances, I think the visual is foregrounded more. It's more important. But, but as, going back to what Diana was asking at the beginning, there, there, there are difficult writing problems to solve all the way along. Uh, in, in these kind of pieces. It, there's a, uh, and we talk about the, 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 the process may change. So, for instance, with the Ryan Van Meter one, about with the, the two boys in the back seat of the car, that that was a adap film adaptation of a print text. Right? That was a, a print essay, a written essay, that then was moved to the images. Move, move to film. Whereas there are others where it's created along the way. And you, you were asked about collaboration earlier, right? So, so I show them pieces by uh, that, that John Bresland and Eula Biss. Okay, so Eula Biss is a, she's a writer. She's a fabulous essayist who, who uh, 
went to the uh, University of Iowa program, and she's married to John Bresland, who is a, a filmmaker, <laughs> videographer, really. And they've collaborated, and, so, and they've written about and talked about, and I was on a panel with them where they talked about what's it like then to collaborate, and then that there's this tussle between two people, in a certain sense, about print, about writing, and about visual images. Claudia Rankin and her husband John Lucas, too, the same thing. She's a, a poet and essayist, and he's a photographer and filmmaker, and they've collaborated on them. But it's a real issue. I mean, it, it, but I don't think I would, I, implicit in your question, what I heard was that, that, that this is, this is more images, or this is created, this is a, 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 vi, a, a visual composition. I think, it's, I think it's both. I think it's both. Some of them much more visual than others, but always both, I think. Okay, all right. Thanks you all for coming.